0: Hello church, and welcome neighbors. It's good to spend a couple of minutes with you today. And I wanna begin just by asking a question. I'm not sure if you've ever had this experience where there's an old friend whom you haven't spoken to in a long time, an acquaintance, somebody that you grew up with, who suddenly, out of the blue, reaches out to you and wants to make contact with you and they're you know being really nice you think oh man this is kind of cool we're reconnecting you know we're we're rebuilding this relationship that time or distance has created and then all of a sudden there's a turn in the conversation where you realize they're only trying to connect with you because they have something that they want to sell to you and suddenly it feels like Maybe this was a bit of a bait and switch. You're you're not actually interested in me because you're interested in restoring a relationship with me. You just need to make a sale or you need me to be part of your Ponzi scheme or your pyramid scheme. And that's not really something that I'm interested in doing. Sometimes people who come to us with questions or come to us with concerns, their motives uh, take a minute for us to dissect and and something to understand. So as we continue in our series this morning, um, we're right in the middle of our series about forgiving and how we are to be forgiving. Um, We see Jesus in the similar kind of a situation where, where folks are coming up to him and they're asking him a question Um, But there are some layers to the question, there are some things behind the scenes that we need to be aware of as we try to understand uh, the nature of, of, one, their question, the nature of Jesus' answer, and how we need to apply those things to our lives on a daily basis. So um, I'm excited to dig in with you. This is going to be, I think, a challenging chapter, but also something at the end that we will be encouraged by. And so as we begin, as we turn our attention to, to God's Word, and as we turn our attention to to learning from Jesus, would would you pray with me? Pause now and pray with me. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Would you give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors? And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So would you turn with me or navigate with me to John chapter... Excuse me, wow. To Matthew chapter 19. We're going to be in the book of Matthew. We're going to be in chapter 19. And we've been going through, uh, we finished last week or the last time we finished going through chapter 18. And there were some first principles that we needed to wrap our heads around before we got into some of the, the, the deeper things that we're talking about. So if this is your first time interacting with us, I encourage you to watch the teachings from before. Those will help you get some some legs underneath you, um, because if you kind of start in the middle, things can be difficult to track with. So um, all that being said, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 19, and I'm just going to begin by reading the first six verses. I think there's enough packed in there for us to chew on. So would you read with me Matthew chapter 19, verses 1 through 6. Now when Jesus had finished these sayings, he went away from Galilee and entered the region of Judea beyond the Jordan, and large crowds followed him. And he healed them there. And Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? He answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female, and said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh? So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. I'm going to pause this there. There's a couple of things we need to address. There's a couple of things that are going on in the background I want us to be aware of. Um, The first thing that you should be aware of is that as, as uh, as these Pharisees are coming to have a conversation with Jesus, they're really, really trying to set a trap for him and we may not be aware of exactly what's all going on if if you and i were having a conversation right now today as i'm recording this i could make references to quarantine and i could make references to being locked inside a cage and you and i would understand that we're talking about the covid 19 crisis that's going on in in the year 2020 in the beginning of the year and we wouldn't have to communicate that specific thing because we're in this moment. We know what's in the newspapers right now, and it's not necessary for us to articulate every detail. The same is true here. These Pharisees are coming, and they're setting a trap for Jesus because of what's in the news. In, in Matthew chapter 14, which is a couple chapters ahead, but uh, we see, and Matthew describes for us, how John the Baptist dies. John the Baptist, John the baptizer, um, had been had been preaching and teaching, and he had some interactions with the ruler, the governor, the, the king of the area. Um, and, and John had said, hey, hey, Herod, who was the king at the time, he said, hey, it's not, it's not right for you to go and marry your brother's wife. Like, you should stay with the wife that you're already married to. You shouldn't like go and marry your brother's wife. Uh, there's a couple things that are wrong with that. And John had been put in prison and ultimately had been beheaded because he was willing to make this statement about how marriage is supposed to work. So as these Pharisees are coming to him, they are trying to trap him. They're trying to put him in a place where he's making a definitive statement about what marriage is. And perhaps they're asking about divorce because that's what's in the news. John just got beheaded for making this kind of a statement. Maybe we can get Jesus, since those guys are real tight, to make a similar statement, and then Herod will arrest him, and ultimately he'll be killed. Uh, I think that's kind of what's going on here. You can read about that in Matthew chapter 14. And Jesus, uh, and, and they're asking, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? And and in the Jewish world at this time, there were kind of two schools of thought. One school of thought articulated that you could you could divorce your wife if she had been unfaithful to you so whether she had actually committed adultery or whether she had tried to commit adultery you could divorce her for that cause another school of thought was a lot more open with the definition of marriage and they would say you can divorce your wife for any reason. You can divorce her if she doesn't know how to cook. You can divorce her if she makes you angry one time. You can divorce her if you just happen to find that there's somebody else in the world who's more attractive to you than she is. So, th- so they're asking, where do you land on this? I'll also take a moment just to point out because we're not in the same time that there are, are legal systems that these people are involved in that have nothing to do with religion and have nothing to do with the Bible. So, these are people who are growing or who are living in the Roman Empire. And within the Roman Empire, there are actually four different legal categories of marriage. Um, For us, we don't necessarily have one, we don't have the exact same categories of marriage. um, And two, it, it just gets complicated. So, when you hear divorce and when you hear marriage, please understand that. We, are, we need to understand what's going on in the world before we make definitive claims about what it is that these people are arguing and what it is that Jesus is alluding to. Because Jesus hears their question and he, uh, he reaches out to the earliest example that we have. Uh, he goes back to creation. Therefore, he says, have you not read that who, he who created them in the beginning made them male and female and said, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So Jesus takes his definition of marriage from the early chapters of Genesis in the creation story. He's, he's, he's kind of sidestepping, he, he may be sidestepping the question that they're trying to ask. He's, he's citing the earliest legal precedent, is that this is how it was supposed to work. God had a design that he meant from the beginning, and it was. It, it, ha- there have been some corruptions of it. And so you're asking a question about the corruption, but haven't you heard how it was supposed to work from the beginning? Haven't you heard how things worked in the garden before things got broken? Um, in all of this conversation, the, the way... That the that the Pharisees were coming to Jesus, the way that Jesus is responding to the to the Pharisees, I just like to say <laughs> that the principles that we're going to discover here are deeper than just marriage relationships. So if you're a single person uh, or you're you're a student and you're not married, you're like I don't even where I'm just tuning this out. I'm not getting married or I'm divorced or I'm divorced, whatever it is. I want you to understand the principles that Jesus is going to teach us are deeper than that. And so hang with me. And if you and I'm also, because these issues are deeper than marriage and divorce, and because our, our focus of understanding is on forgiving, um, I'm not going to go into a huge amount of detail on that. Um, there was a series that we preached here uh, out of 1 Corinthians 7 that's called Marriage and Other Mysteries. I'm going to include a link to a, a sermon out of that Um, But there there are things and questions that may arise in your mind I'm not going to address so uh, because I want to get to the heart. I want to dig down deep into what Jesus is doing here. But as we see that these Pharisees have set a trap and Jesus has gone to the earliest legal precedent, it, it just leads me to ask this question. What features of our culture introduce doubt in Jesus? What features of our culture introduce doubt in Jesus? Because there are things in our culture that we accept as normal. There are things in our culture that we don't even think twice about. But when we read the words of Jesus, we go, wait a second, I thought that this was okay. Like everybody around me is doing this thing. Why is Jesus Jesus? So what features of our culture introduce doubt in Jesus? I'm not sure how our conversation develops, Um, and this is kind of a complicated question to answer. It's kind of like asking a fish to analyze the water that he's swimming in. Um, Fish is like, well, what do you think about this water that you're swimming in? What are you talking about? Because he grew up in the water, he's always breathed the water, the water is essentially part, it's in and out of his body all the time. What do you mean water? Like, what is water? So when I ask you to analyze what features of our culture Introduce doubt in Jesus, you might be like, well, I don't know what you mean by culture. Um, so it, it's kind of a, different, a, a difficult question. Um, but I think that there are some things that we hold dearly um, as Western Americans uh, that, that Jesus may push back on, or he may make us question, how do these things fit? Um, our national liberty, or our freedom, or our personal rights—Jesus um, advocates and has advocated that we lay down our own lives for His kingdom, and that we pick up our cross and bear it. And and those things can can seem contrary, like. Don't you know, like, I, I have rights, and I need to insist and fight on those rights. And Jesus says, well, maybe there's a better way. Or, or maybe when Jesus teaches about sexual restraint, or our personal identity, or, or spiritual authority, we say, well, I don't, I don't necessarily know, like, who is, who is Jesus to tell me how to live my life? Um, in either case, there are, there are things and there are features of our culture that lead us to doubt in Jesus. Um, But I'd like to encourage you to push in to ask the hard questions about what parts of my culture are helpful and what parts of my culture are going to lead me away from the way that Jesus wants me to live. And it's a difficult question to answer. And it's a difficult question to know how to map out. And so I just would encourage you to be involved in a community who's able to ask those questions with you, who's able to, to look at the scriptures and go, well, I, well, Jesus says this. What does that say about how I treat my neighbor? Or what does this say about how I treat my wife? Um, and come to a conclusion about how we follow Jesus together at this time and this day so that we can be stronger together. I think oftentimes these things get fleshed out in the community. Now, we left in the middle of a a conversation, and I'd like to take us back to that conversation between the Pharisees who are trying to trap Jesus and uh, and Jesus' response to them. So in verse 7, the Pharisees pick up again, uh, and they are are (laughs) continuing their trap. Would you read with me? Matthew 18, beginning in verse 7. They, the Pharisees, said to him, why then did Jesus command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? He said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. So I want to I want to. Say here first, state here first as we begin to dig into this, what our big idea is. The thing that we want to draw away from our time here together is this. Jesus softens our hearts towards those he loves. Jesus softens our hearts towards those he loves. The Pharisees have asked Jesus, is it lawful to get a divorce for any reason?" And Jesus has responded that it wasn't supposed to be that way. That wasn't part of God's design. And the Pharisees then start to try to quote the Bible to Jesus, and in fact, they misquote the Bible. They say, "Well, if it wasn't from, if it wasn't that way from the beginning, then why did Moses command us to get a divorce?" Um, and they, they they're, <laughs> it's complicated. And I'm really tempted to go into a whole uh, digression about how the law worked. And how um, the law of Moses worked, but but simply allow me to, s- to summarize it in this way: the law and Moses did not actually give any commandment to get a divorce, not not for any reason. The, not, nowhere in the Old Testament um, in the Old Testament law did did Moses communicate: you must get a divorce if your spouse does this. Uh, it, it's just not there. In fact, never does does he give any kind of instructions for how divorce proceedings really should go, except that, this. He says, if you divorce a wife, if you divorce your wife, and she gets remarried, and then gets divorced or is widowed, you cannot remarry her again. Why? Because you've already received a dowry payment from their family, and if you were to remarry her, you would get another dowry payment. Like, it, it, the laws and this is in deuteronomy 24 the laws that moses laid out were to protect the woman from being um from being exploited he says look like like this divorce thing is going to happen i'm not even going to talk about it um but if you guys are going to do this thing you need like the law that gets laid down is protect the women from being exploited and that's very similar to what jesus is, is points them to he says, because of the hardness of your heart, Moses allowed you guys to divorce your wives. He, so so this law that applied to you as Israelites, as descendants of, of Abraham and the tribes of Israel, um, they allowed you to have a certificate of divorce and to send them away. But it wasn't so from the beginning. This wasn't a part of God's design. So I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another, commits adultery. The Pharisees' hearts were hard even towards their spouse. Their hearts were hard towards their spouse. They were looking for an excuse to try to get out of the marriage relationship. No strings attached. They wanted to relinquish all authority and responsibility, and they really ended up treating their wives like property. It's disgusting. Um, I have a lot of strong feelings about how this thing plays out, and I'm going to try to keep my comments uh, restrained to some degree the one caveat that jesus allows here is within a sexual immorality so anybody who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and then remarries another uh commits adultery so so he's saying you can divorce your wife for sexual immorality and and the the legal arrangement that that's happened between husband and wife has been broken and and god's going to work that out um, but it's permitted. Like in in an instance of sexual immorality, the, the divorce is permitted, but not required. If you're coming to these verses and saying, my, my spouse committed sexual immorality against me, and so I'm justified to divorce them, this is true. It is permitted, but it's not required. God's heart from the beginning has been to seek and restore broken people who've made poor decisions. And so if this is part of the relationship that you're struggling with, I say that the divorce is not the only answer. Um Jesus makes us forgivers as we have seen how we have been forgiven. And so if we can look at another person and say, I will not forgive you for this offense that you have done to me, then maybe we haven't quite understood the forgiveness that God extends to us in forgiving our sin towards him. The picture that Jesus holds up of marriage, it is an exquisite picture. It is one that is really, I don't think it's hard to say, it's an idealized picture. And a marriage that would be able to navigate in this way would be one in which both spouses are constantly forgiving constantly forgiving what how often shall i forgive my spouse is it seven times no it is 77 times stop keeping track of how often you forgive your spouse and 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 the the nuts and bolts of how conflict gets resolved in a marriage is really in where the rubber meets the road in forgiving and and there are lots of questions that are that arise in that of how that works and specific conversations that need to be had. And sometimes we need outside wisdom for people to help us to navigate the conflict. But that's what's going on. So... I I know that I'm talking to real people, and I want to I want to give these two um, these two clarifying statements. The first one is that I think Jesus's comments here do not invalidate remarriage. So Jesus isn't saying if you are remarried after having been divorced, then you are committing adultery. He doesn't say if you have been divorced and now you're remarried, that marriage doesn't that marriage needs to be annulled. That's not what he's saying. Um, he's, if you look in 1 Corinthians 7, where, where, where the text deals a lot more with the specific Roman marriages, um, you, we see that the, the, the goal for conflict and the goal for the remarriage is, is reconciliation and, and building the marriage that exists today. Start with where you're at, start with the relationship that you are in now. And, and move that forward in following Jesus and, and in a pattern of forgiveness. Um, the second thing I would say is that crime is, is still a crime. I said this last week and I think it's still true. If you're in an abusive marriage, this does not mean that you must stay with your spouse in, in, in every situation. This principle of marriage is not a tool for manipulation. In fact, I think it does the exact opposite. When you see that the Pharisees are looking for a license to be able to have any kind of divorce, to sleep with any woman that they want to, and to have no accountability for how they treat their spouse, and Jesus is speaking against that, if, if, if a man or a, or a wife were to use this principle as a tool for manipulation, saying, you can't divorce me because then you wouldn't be a Christian, then, no. I, then I think... I I think that this this principle cannot be used for manipulation. Um, I realize that I'm I'm trying, I'm please realize that I'm trying to to be measured in my comments and not dig into all of the specifics of how this works. If you have questions, I'd encourage you to to reach out to me or to another trusted spiritual advisor, um, and and that you would do that. Here's the application question for all of us to consider. How do we distort God's ideal to justify sinful attitudes? In light of all of this, the question, the heart issue it comes down to is, how do we distort God's ideal to justify our sinful attitudes? I think a conversation about this question could go in a lot of different ways. Um, I think it's significant to point out that the Pharisees were trying to use the Bible um, to justify this um, really atrocious attitude towards their spouses, um, so there, so we may distort God's ideal and justify sinful attitudes just out of out of out of confusion about uh, religious requirements. So we might have grown up in a religious community where they taught a certain thing about what the Bible says. They could be using biblical language to justify a sinful attitude. Um, and in this season where we're in such court, close quarters with family, I can imagine that there can be times where we come into conflict, and we're tempted to use and distort God's ideal to justify sinful attitudes towards people that are really getting on our nerves. Um, but perhaps uh, you've seen um, you've seen you've seen sinful attitudes be distorted by people in spiritual leadership. Um, I've seen this most regularly in regards to how teaching on the tithes work, Um, and and there might be a temptation to say, well, I've seen abuses of power in the church, uh, and the church and church leaders are only out for money, and so I'm just going to write the church off and not participate in any kind of spiritual community, and that would be justifying a sinful attitude that Jesus gives for us to love one another, and especially those who are within the body of Christ. Um, so there are lots of different ways that this can manifest. Our pride is tricky, and we've already identified it in this series as a, as a stumbling block and something that um, can prevent us from following Jesus. So, so this question is one that we need to, to boil down. Now, if you're sitting and hearing all this conversation, there's a lot of conversations about divorce and remarriage and, and marriage in general, and you may be saying, I'm a single person. What does this have to do with me? Um, I'm not married. So what? Well, uh, I think there's another twist to Jesus' teaching here that is going to be really interesting to all of us, no matter what our marital status is. Look with me in Matthew 18 and verse 10. (laughs) The disciples said to him, If such is the case of a man with his wife, it is better not to marry. But he said to them, Not everyone can receive this saying, but only those to whom it is given, for there are eunuchs who have been un- have been so from birth, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men, and there are eunuchs who have been made themselves eun- who have made themselves eunuchs, and there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let the one who is able to receive this receive it. So in the middle of a conversation about marriage and divorce and marital relationships, Jesus brings up eunuchs. And eunuchs were people who had been castrated um, or had had their, <laughs> eunuchs were people who had had some kind of, um, eunuchs were people that were usually in the service of government authorities or, or royalty who had been uh, mutilated either naturally or after their birth to prevent them from being able to have sexual intercourse. And so these are people who served in specific capacities um, that they could be trusted not to have sexual temptation. So these are people for whom, uh, as far as the original audience and the people that Jesus is talking to first, would understand that they have no place would understand that they have no place in a conversation about marriage. He says, this teaching is hard. If you've been challenged by this teaching, understand this. Jesus says, this teaching is hard. And in fact, I'm kind of uh, frustrated with the disciples for the way that they, they interact with this. They say, if if your standard, Jesus, is that we have to stay married to the same spouse for our whole life, then it's better not to get married. Um Jesus' standard for marriage are considered too high by the people that are following or trying to follow him, and here's where where I just want to remind us that forgiveness and reconciliation begins with humility. We cannot go into any kind of a relationship, marriage or otherwise, and and seek to have reconciliation with people, seek to live out a life of forgiveness if we're not going to be humble and admit that we could possibly be wrong about something. Each of us is given a gift. Some of us are given the gift of being married. Some of us are given the gift of having been married and are no longer married, whether that's because of a divorce situation or because of a death situation. And some of us are given the gift of not having been married. Um, and, and those things are all articulated again in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, which I, I keep referring to, but it's a, a, a helpful passage to know how to navigate some of these things. Our default is that our hearts are hard towards people. Our default is to exclude people and to be in conflict with other people. And Jesus modeled seeking reconciliation. And Jesus grows that heart of wanting to seek reconciliation within his disciples. If we're gonna embrace forgiveness, we have to first embrace Jesus. And Jesus softens our heart towards those he loves. He, he holds up these eunuchs as people, uh, as three categories of people. Some of them were born this way. Some of them were had this decision forced upon them. And some of them have made this decision in order to further the kingdom of God. And Jesus says, whether you're married or not, your marital status is not a defining characteristic of whether or not God can use you for ministry. Whether you're single, whether you're married, whether you're divorced, whether you're widowed or don't Your marital status will not limit you from God being able to use you to minister in other people's lives. I just need you to hear that. And Jesus softens our hearts towards those he loves. I love all of these people. And, and for Jesus to bring up eunuchs and to say some have been made for the kingdom of God, some have made themselves eunuchs for the kingdom of God would be mind boggling to the people who are hearing this first because being a eunuch would exclude them from being able to worship in the Jewish temple. They're, they're excluded from being able to go in because there have been some kind of bodily, manipula- or bodily mutilation. Um, and that idea would, would just blow the disciples' mind, I think. I think with this statement, Jesus dropped the mic and walked away. He holds up a people that that most of the people in that community, whether they're, whether they're being Pharisees and trying to manipulate other people, whether they're being disciples and trying to follow Jesus and understand, all of these people would agree, like, yeah, eunuchs, eunuchs don't belong in the kingdom. And Jesus says... Some of them have made themselves eunuchs to further the kingdom. And he highlights the fact that every human being is created in God's image. And as a human being created in God's image, every person has an inherent value. But our defaults are for our heart to be hard towards other people and want to exclude other people. So here's the question we conclude with. Whose inherent value are we tempted to overlook? Whose inherent God-given value are we tempted to overlook? It might be because of outward differences—whether whether they come have, a, have you know, whether they have a different race, whether they have a different income level, whether they have different um, health, uh, whether they're healthy or unhealthy, whether they have a different language. These are outward things that we might separate. We might be tempted to separate each other about, and we might be tempted to overlook another person's inherent value. There are also developmental differences. There might be differences in intelligence. There might be differences in maturity. There might be just differences in age that we might look at somebody who's older and say, yeah, you don't have a value anymore. You might look at somebody younger and say, yeah, you're too stupid to know anything. You don't have any value. You're just a child. Um, and there may be spiritual differences as well that would lead us to do this. Whether the person is an atheist or whether they're a Jesus follower or whether they're a Buddhist or a Muslim, we might be tempted to look at them and forget that Jesus sees them as somebody who has inherent value as people who have been created in the image of God. So whose inherent value are we tempted to overlook? And let me encourage you that it is Jesus who does the work of softening our hearts. Jesus softens our hearts towards those whom He loves, and He loves every person.